everybody, welcome to the Voxology Podcast. Mike Erie here, Tim Stafford, also with me via screen live from California. And today, we have a very, very special mm. guest. <laughs> Home today because of an ice day in the South. <laughs> Ladies Bobby. and gentlemen, Seth Erie is in, the, is in the building. <laughs> Hello. Seth Thomas, how are you this morning? I got You're good? Yeah. Okay, what's uh what do you want to tell everybody today? Um I'm not I'm not, I'm not about Tim. About Kevin. You want to talk to him about Kevin and Tim? Yeah. Okay, we'll tell him. Hey Tim. What? Guess what? What? Hey do it sick. Nice! Yes! Yes! Oh, it's a nice day, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yes. What does that even mean? Well, it means that it was about 36 degrees and it was pouring rain all day yesterday. And then uh, uh, sometime after midnight, it gets close to freezing or freezing. And that turns into some sort of wintry mix is the official term for it. And it kind That's of coats. That's the official term. Yeah. And then it coats everything in ice. So like driving, even if it's just a tenth of an inch of ice... Driving becomes very difficult, and there's enough rural stuff around um, the area that, you know, uh, buses and such, you just don't want to risk it. So So it's actually an ice day. It is. It is. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I've got a house full of my family. (laughs) So that's always a a wonderful thing, mostly. So anyway. um, Anyway. Yes. It's Tim. Um, I've got, man, I've got so much, we, the amount of, um, community stuff that is happening is ridiculous. Um, so we've decided to do a five hour episode today. Oh my goodness. We have, I don't know. It's over 600 emails in the Vox email account. And they're all awesome. And, and they're, yeah, they're all amazing. Um, and and it's just been it's been fantastic. And then I wanna I wanna do some shout outs because some folks joined the sweet Patreon team. And again, we're so grateful. We are crowdfunded and we are a 501c3 nonprofit. And so literally you uh, put this whole thing on and we're unbelievably grateful and honored it to It enables us to also not to have to do the like mattress man ads. No, I listen. What's that guy, the pillow guy? <laughs> yeah i don't think we future president of the united we'd states do that one but yes although i think it would be really fun to read some ad copy maybe we should just, like, just make, do like the conan oh yes conan o'brien <laughs> is just riff on the yep yep um so that would be fun but thankfully we don't have to and so yeah. i want to thank drexel who's a, a friend and bruce and Ari and Mary and Amy and Dan, or as I like to call them, Drexel, Ari, Amy, Bruce, Mary, Dan. <laughs> Drexel, Ari, Amy, Bruce, Mary, Dan. So thank you. That sounds like a 60s folk group. Oh, absolutely. Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young has nothing. Peter, Paul, and Mary. On Drexel, Ari, Amy, Bruce, Mary, Dan. So, they also have nothing on Spotify. 
True. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> and I want to do shout outs on Tidely because we have a community there that is incredibly generous. So I want to say thank you to Carrie, who is extended family, and Amanda, who is amazing. Um, and, um, and Daniel, I think is the name, who I'm sure is wonderful. I just don't have any insight. So we'll just pronounce him wonderful. <laughs> but no, seriously, thank you all. This is an honor and a privilege to get to do this. We do not take this for granted. And we absolutely love what's happening. Now, we have um, we have so many deconstruction stories to get through that I'm just, for as many episodes as needed, we will just yeah. read a couple of these. Some of them come bearing the message, you can share this. Others, I go I at, That's at, become like a <laughs> subtext at the bottom of the emails now, like... Yeah. <laughs> which I love. Which I love too, yes. So um, this is uh, from somebody who says, um, as of late, I have been going through my own deconstruction, but didn't know what was going on until I started listening to the deconstruction podcasts and all the different listener stories. This is why yeah. we share these. Yeah. The testimonies of others are so helpful as I listen and say, me too, or grieve with them or celebrate with them. As I am, I am a recovering anxious person, I felt very out of control when I started thinking differently about the views I'd grown up with. When we listened to your most recent podcast, an aha bulb went off in my brain. I wasn't going crazy. Uh, the Holy Spirit was and is revealing things to me. What a sweet spot to be in. Your Will of God podcast changed my thinking as we lost our firstborn son in a stillbirth when I was seven months along, which wow. I am so unbelievably sorry. That is, I can't imagine what that is like at all. Um, this was obviously devastating and we were confused. I blamed it on God because people were saying it's God's will. Boy, that is not true. But deep down, I was struggling that that would be God's will. How detrimental it was to my grieving process, blaming it on God. Your podcast opened my eyes, and I just want to say thank you. It's freeing to know that God's will isn't that, and it's actually simple, right? Yeah. It isn't that other view, and it's actually simple. As, as you said, it's stated in the Bible. When I went to do my own research, I was blown away at how simple it was in Scripture that I've read hundreds of times before. We are now on the path of international adoption, uh, which we are so excited about, but it wasn't an easy road to get there for me. I got pregnant three months. I got pregnant three months after losing Noah wow. with our daughter Quinn. That had to be really scary. She, yeah, she even says that her her pregnancy was stressful because of the fear of stillbirth and also because she wasn't growing and my placenta couldn't put myself through. Oh, I'm sorry, I really messed that up. Her pregnancy was stressful because of the fear of stillbirth and also because she wasn't growing and my placenta was folding in on itself. Yeah. Oof. I, yeah, I can't imagine. I had to have weekly ultrasounds because of this, although everything turned out completely perfect. I just couldn't put myself again through the awful stress and worry and anxiety it caused. I felt so much shame, pressure, and guilt over not wanting to be pregnant again. Well, no wonder. Seriously, can you... I just... Yeah. We're like, it's like we give kids, uh, or it's like when a kid finds a gun in a parent's home and they would kind of run around and wield it like a toy and right. all these accidents from that. Like, I feel like that's how people like Christians are with like terminology, like God's will or yep. whatever. And they just are hurting people right and left with this, like, 
you know, bravado that is so false. Yep. Absolutely. And, and added to that, she says, there is so much pressure on women in the church to get married and have babies. Yeah. As I have learned, it took us two years to come to the decision to adopt because I was feeling all these awful feelings. And you're absolutely right, Tim. Um, Good theology doesn't save us, but bad theology certainly harms us. And so, um, man, I'm just so sorry, my sister, for for that experience. And that is, first of all, it's why we share these stories. So thank you uh, that they've been helpful. Secondly... Yeah, I would imagine being told it's God's will that you lost your seventh seven month old uh, child in utero. Uh, that's just to have just, shame and guilt tossed on. Top yeah, of on top of that, pain is oh. despicable. All right, this is from uh, another young woman. She says, "I was raised in a conservative, reformed denomination, um, aka the only perfect church." <laughs> that should literally be on the sign. Uh, I was taught by the shorter catechism, Tulip, the five points of Calvinism, if you're not familiar with those, and the Trinity hymnal. Church attendance was mandatory Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night. Yes. Let's hear it. Let's, let's hear it for all those Sunday nighters, man. Nothing like, <laughs> like going back. It's usually a college group in the, in the non-denom crowd. Well, it was, but when, like when I was growing up, we had a Sunday night. It was a whole different sermon. Yeah. So. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was... Show up Sunday morning, get one thing. Yeah, you get... Show up Sunday night, get absolved. Yeah, well, it was like Sunday morning was um, singing and kind of more formal announcements and whatever, and you dressed up. Sunday evening was more casual. You were still looking nice. And it was more of just a, a teaching. And then Wednesday night was when all the small groups, Awana's youth group met, and um, you know, so the whole church gathered then. So anyway, yes, I can, I can relate... To that weekly schedule. Um, uh, I was taught how to vote, how to serve the church, and how to not question church authority. And I was taught that there was a, no- a set number of elect people that God had predestined to save. Everyone else was lost. I was baptized as a baby and became a member of the church in middle school. In college, I started to have doubts about my religious upbringing. I was part of Crew, formerly Campus Crusade for Christ, and was exposed to the urgency of witnessing or evangelism. I didn't quite understand it because I'd never heard this urgency. My church had said witnessing on street corners would not change anyone's mind and that God had already predestined people, so witnessing didn't really make a difference. Why share your faith if God's already done it? Yeah. And then I met some people in crew who had a Pentecostal background and was even more confused when I witnessed healing, speaking in tongues, baptisms of the Spirit, and other miraculous quote-unquote things. At this time, I asked my pastor back home why we didn't learn about the Holy Spirit, and he said it was because we believed the Holy Spirit stopped working in this way after Pentecost. At this point, I was completely confused. <laughs> what I heard on Sunday was that God worked one way, and then I heard about God working another way. And neither group was interested in hearing from or understanding the other. They both had their heads so far into the sand that they could no longer hear the waves crashing around them. There we go. Oh, what a great image. I, for years after this experience, I tried burying my head in the sand as well, hoping that the silence would drown out all the questions and doubts I had. It didn't. It's a little I, midnight mass at the end. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for years after this experience, I tried burying my head... Oh, I already did that one. I got married, had kids, suffered through the pandemic, and realized I was still as lost as I was back then. 
I feel like I'm on a plane without landing gear. I have no idea where I will end up, but I also feel like the certainty in knowing the ending is actually the problem. I'm unsure of where I will land as I hear waves crashing around me, but I'm comforted to have others walking along, walking the long road alongside me as I reconstruct my faith. That's good. Great Pearl Jam It's always reference. more scary if you turn around and there's only one set of footprints. Because likely what it really means is you're walking by yourself. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Taciturn or, or the sand people you know, travel single file <laughs> to not reveal their numbers. numbers. Yes. <laughs> now, Tim, you, your <laughs> comments good. have already hinted at your troubled spirit. So I think, and, and it hasn't, I mean, we obviously haven't done a, a Tim triumphant time I know. recently, but there certainly are reasons enough for Tim's troubled time. So hit the intro, give it to us, Timothy. Well, uh, yeah, maybe. Well, I mean, I'm sorry to be coming with troubles and not with uh, triumphs or timbits. But um, there was a few things that I have been talking to people about this week that are going on in the country and in the church that um, I thought were worth addressing. And I have since decided that uh, I don't want to give any air to that stuff. Um, Yeah. Or those folks. But I, so I've been really thinking about the neither right nor left nor religious through yeah, that was the first biblical lenses. That was yeah. the first Sermon on the Mount podcast we did. But just how how we've just we're it's like we think that because we're a two party system in this country and because it seems as though uh, one party has fully adopted or or Christianity has fully adopted one of the parties, however you want to look at it. Our tribe, yes. You have to, we have this like subconscious feeling that we have to, we don't have a choice but to pick a side. Right. Like we have to, you just have to exist on one side or the other. Yeah. And then to criticize, in line. to criticize one side means you embrace the other. Yeah. Right. And so it's just, it's just so unproductive. And yeah. so I've just all, all week long, just like with every conversation, it's like, well, I don't want to choose either. And I, but that immediate, like we said in the last episode, that immediately leads to us, like, you're a moderate. And I was like, I'm not a moderate either. I'm not anything. I don't want any of these, like, you keep all your labels. You can give them to someone else and put them in a bag. I'm yeah. not interested in any of them. Yeah. I would like to see healing and, like, growing. Yeah. Critical thinking. Adults acting like adults. Yeah, good luck with that one. But I, I sent you a quote from yes our, our good friend, Mr. Eddie Vedder. Um, talking about the new record that he has coming up, but this one particular section that he was, uh, the guy was asking him about being when they were a younger band and they were against everything and they were fighting for change and all these things. And it was this really profound, you know, whatever they took on Ticketmaster and they were, yeah. he says, you know, there's been an evolution. We used to chain ourselves to old growth trees to see how that played out. We took on Ticketmaster, but nothing happened. And, we were rattling cages and we wrote naive lyrics and, but at some, he says this, but at some point it was like, what do we want to achieve? We started trying to meet with our adversaries to see what could be done, funding the preservation of rainforest offset, carbon emissions, blah, 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 blah. It was learning experience. It bruised our, it bruised our muscle of idealism. Mm. We were young and naive and thought you could, you could change things, but just taking on the man and being agitators, it might not be the way. So I was thinking about that in light of all these deconstruction stories. Yeah. And like how 
how it, how much it really is discipleship because that process is deconstructing and reconstructing at the same time. Right. Like you learn what doesn't work when you're against everything. Right. And you try to start engaging in conversations to try to actually see change happen. And I like just the last couple of emails that you read is like all the stuff fell apart, but while you're being center focused within all those things deteriorating, you start to see the reconstruction process of seeking actual truth. And that's really, that's like, it's, called growing up i think <laughs> we can <laughs> hope something. well yeah and, but you see the discipleship of it of those two things actually being hand in hand you deconstructing these things and reconstructing or rebuilding or whatever you want to call it and it's like that yeah. is just discipleship right yeah yeah exactly man I, re- I really resonate with that the whole cancel conversation is super interesting because i'm sympathetic in some ways because i do think misinformation harms people and like the, the way the bad theology harms people. Yeah. But I don't think the answer, and we're going to get into this today is just drawing a, a new boundary and saying, no, nope, you know, these people need to be silenced rather than engaged um, constructively. And, and that, you know, I I'm sensitive to the, the criticism that people often levy, at least that I've heard towards me, as well, you just you just want to both sides everything, and 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 I think the the idea is the conservative progressive continuum exists on a line, and we're saying we no longer we're no longer part of that continuum. There's a different line. There's a new playing field. There's a it, this isn't a, a a middle ground between two things. This is saying no, no, no. When we think about politics. We think first about the church and the upside down nature of the kingdom of God, that the church is political, but it's not partisan even remotely. It's politics are about the towel and the basin, about the about the Lord's table, about the politics of baptism, right? And so what, what continually is frustrating is trying to engage in conversations that require a position on the continuum to even be had when what we're trying to advocate for is something off the continuum altogether. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And so what centers set thinking, this is a parallel to centered set thinking because uh, for me, this isn't about, you know, it's it's not on a continuum between boundary focused and, and fuzzy because uh, right. they're all both focused on lines. It's something altogether different. And I think that yeah. that's what we want to recapture. That's we want to recapture, compelling. yes, we want to re- recapture the political nature of the kingdom of God is a social order that operates by a different set of politics. Now, we're invited for our partisan opinions and hallelujah for those. But politics have now invaded the church to the point where those are the new boundary lines. Yeah. And, um, and that, is, that, is simply, uh, that is simply devastating to the witness of the church. Yeah, it's led to disgusting results. It's led to someone having a stillborn and then being made to feel guilty and shameful because of it yeah and that's just but I, I, yeah but but the temptation for us and we say this over and over is to draw lines around those people right. and to say those are the people that really need to be pushed away um, because they harm other people and again that's the argument that that you can use to kind of cancel out anybody and so we're trying to explore what it means to engage or have some sort of unity with people that we think are doing harm 
um, because on the conservative side, it's very easy just to label them the enemy and work with all your might against them. On the progressive side, it's easy to do the same thing and then add to it the idea that um, any complicity or forgiveness um, or conversation with those people is somehow complicity to their evil. Right. Um, I just I I don't think that's the vision of of life that Jesus presents. So, well, and, and we pull the thread. What like what happens if you are just uh, not listening, not engaging, just shutting people? Like where do, where does that thread lead? Where does that road lead? Right. Exactly. Like what what constructive do you really think is going to come from? drawing harder lines and dividing harder polarizing harder right, right. violence is all is the only place that leads. it's the only result so i we've got not only deconstruction stories not only some troubled times from tim <laughs> we've got uh some questions and comments on the the thing that we're doing and um you know for those of you that i think most of us find this interesting to hear from each other um uh, but for those of you that don't, I'm sorry. We'll get to the kind of the the chewy goodness here in a second. But I, I just think what's happening in our community is so important. And it's part of the, the way in which we want this to be a conversation and not just a lecture. And, yes. and Tim and I learned so much from you guys, um, from your questions, from comments, from your stories that, you know, we just feel it's super important to take time to go through so much of this. Uh, so this is from um, uh, somebody who writes, I really resonate with the current series. Um, it's one of those concepts that once explained helps to really describe what Jesus came to accomplish, as well as how we've perverted it over and over and over. Two things I want to know. Number one, what can churches or groups do to discourage boundary focus, um, or maybe more importantly, encourage center focus. And then question two is slash was Mike's uh, fascination with set theory. Uh, was that because it sounds so much like set theory? And, <laughs> and, <laughs> and absolutely. In fact, I, I discovered set theory before set theory was conceived. And so set theory was named in some ways after set theory. So there you, there go. you go. As to your first question, this is exactly what will constitute the next several episodes. There are certain dynamics that have to be in place for a church to, to, to kind of adjust its mindset and practice towards being centered. And so um, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at church discipline because the question always comes up right around this time. Okay, but what happens when somebody doesn't align with the center? Hmm. Isn't that just a new boundary? How do you deal with that? So uh, we're going to talk about the differences between how um, bounded churches might deal with somebody who doesn't align with the, the boundary or fuzzy churches um, then contrast that with what centers, what healthy centered churches might do. Um, then we're going to talk about clarifying the center. And then we're going to talk about the kind of dynamics that have to be in place for a church to, um, to engage corporately and not perfectly, but progressively towards uh, kind of the centered ideal. So I think that uh, if in the next several episodes that doesn't become clear, would you please um, email back and say, I'm still wondering, 
because the rest of the, the several episodes are designed to answer that question. So excellent, excellent, excellent. Number two, love the conversation you're having right now. These topics are near and dear to my heart. It used to be a conceptual thing for me, but having been pushed out of a church I pastored because of a bounded set culture, it's become painfully practical. Yeah, um, that's, that's kind of a common theme in a lot of the emails too. We've had quite a few people in ministry that are like, I got bounced and I'm trying to figure out how to yes, navigate that. Yes, 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 that's such a good point, Tim. We have heard a number of these stories. Among other things, I was told that if I didn't think PSA, which is a penal substitutionary atonement, it's the idea Not that- a public service announcement. Correct, um, or a prostate test. Um, <laughs> I'm of age to know that rendering of PSA. Um, <laughs> penal substitutionary atonement theory is what we all grew up with. Jesus died in my place, took my sin, I take his righteousness, I go to heaven when I die. Right. Um, I was told that because I didn't think PSA was the capital, the way to interpret the cross, it would be a deal breaker and my job would be on the line. That's a classic boundary. Talk about creating safe spaces for theological dialogue, not. I also had to sign a dotted line saying that CRT was anti-gospel. Critical race theory. Needless to say, I lost my job. Haha. <laughs> and this wasn't some extreme fundamentalist church. This bounded way of thinking is far more mainstream than we realize. As I reflected on the bounded set cultures I come from and consider the centered set culture I now work to create in my new church, I've realized that many, not all, Christian educational institutions have gotten this a lot better than the church. I used to work in higher education and was part of a university that made a very clear distinction between affirmation of something, which I personally believe the exact same thing, versus support of something I believe differently but I view the institu institution's position as thoughtful and a responsible Christian approach to the issue. Yeah. So, so I could say, listen, um, it, I, I affirm penal substitutionary atonement, meaning I personally agree with it. Um, I support it means I will not um, advocate against the institution's uh, affirmation of that. Right. And um, he said this differentiation is, was key, uh, was a key contributing factor to creating a centered set culture. As an employee of the college, you were not asked to affirm, you were instead asked to support. In other words, uh, you couldn't work there if you made it your side gig to demonize the institution, but you didn't have to personally agree with everything. He said, it makes sense to me. This created room to breathe. It made space to have convictions and opinions on things, but not alienate people who differed. It was a lot messier, but a lot better. I'm interested to hear your take on this differentiation. Um, uh, is it as centered set as I think it is? Uh, many, many churches ask for total affirmation of their pastors on every bullet and sub bullet on long doct doctrinal statements. Um, if you move away from anything, your job is on the line. How confining, how absurd to think that a pastor hired at 25 years old is expected to think the same way about God 25 years later. Yes. <coughs> Amen. But in bounded churches, that's the reality. We have to do better. Uh, asking for support rather than affirmation seems to be a great start. Now, um, this is one of those things where uh, in theory, I totally su support and affirm the support and affirm distinction. But the support and affirm distinction 
can also become something that you have to um, affirm. And, um, and, and it can become kind of an endless loop of, yeah. <coughs> we say this in theory, but, but it doesn't work out in practice. Now, if you were in an institution where it was true that you could personally hold the different views, um, if you were personally involved in an institution where uh, literally you were asked, oh, you don't have to agree with this, but just don't actively undermine the institution's affirmation of this. To me, that kind of sounds like a bounded and a fuzzy. Right, right. Just because it's like, hey, here's the rules, don't break them and sign on the dotted line. Or there's like a, hey, we, you know. Yeah. So I was part of a, I mean, that's a great example, Tim. I was part of a, an institution where there was a um, no drinking clause. Right. And I would, I literally had people representing the institution saying, yeah, we have to have that in there to keep donors happy. But um, that isn't universally applied. So that's almost, uh, you know, I don't know. That's, that's not necessarily fuzzy set, but it's certainly something other than bounded set. And, and again, it's all the same games. What I like about what this pastor is suggesting is let's put it into writing that you're allowed to not agree. Yeah. So I love that. That is very yeah. centered. That you don't that have we're open to, to conversation and we're open yes. to Yes. And even to say, listen, as any employee of an employer, you're you're expected not to undermine the mission of the organization of which you're part. That that's right. common sense. Absolutely. But to say in writing, listen, um, you don't have to personally believe all the things that the organization stands for in order to be a part of it. That's a yeah. very centered. So totally, yeah, and that that comes up a lot in the free speech conversation, right? Uh, that gets reengaged every two weeks. It seems like. <laughs> All right, one more, real quick. Hi, Seth, Mike, and Timothy. I thought it appropriate to, and most respectful to first mention Seth, as he is the front man of this whole operation. If Timothy, only everybody could see him right now. Oh my! I know, I know. He's got his hands over his mouth, like in surprise. He's like, what? Yes. Me? Yes. <laughs> Timothy and Mike, you're mentioned in no particular order. <laughs> Amen. Amen. In all seriousness, thank you for the work you've done. Uh, I remember last year when the insurrection happened and you were in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount series, or at least I was listening to it. I knew the first Capitol Police officer who died. So oh. it hit particularly hard. I was pissed. I wanted so badly to hate those quote, Christians that perpetrated behavior that was not only antichrist, but so obviously hell on earth. I have a podcast, and at the time, we were three episodes into our, our latest season, and I remember thinking that I wanted to jump on and spew venom towards them. Better judgment prevailed, and I didn't. Instead, I waited to collect myself and think through how I wanted to respond. I don't remember which episode it was, but I remember you guys saying something along the lines of, not only are, are we to... Not only are we not to other people who aren't in the church, but we're also not supposed to other those people who other the other people. And we're supposed to avoid othering all along, which I'm adding to that. It was that moment that gave me a ton of clarity about what I wanted from the church. Big C, I love her. I love the church even when she makes me sad and angry. I want the church to live up to the invitation that Jesus gave us in the Sermon on the Mount. That's it. At least try and I wanted to blow that horn in my local context as long as I'm able. So two weeks after the insurrection, we shifted the whole season and did a series on the Sermon on the Mount to align with the grander vision in our community. 
Uh, I'd like to say that it went well and was super well received, but nope, it didn't. It created a lot of criticism and feeling rejected by the community that both I and my co-host have been committed to for years. Mm. Oof. All that context is to say that this series, only two episodes in, has been a breath of fresh air. It is giving me hope, specifically when you said that you cannot truly love each other in a bounded church community because of the harm it does to those who are excluded and to the harm it does to those who are doing the excluding. That's huge because when we, I mean I, (laughs) have to consider that it is harming those who are excluding, I can't uh, other them or draw lines that exclude them. That's hard, but so important. If we, I mean I, want to live in Jesus's kingdom. Man, that is so, that is the hardest work, the hardest work to be a disciple of Jesus. And you really start to see the like die to yourself. Oh my like, goodness, yes, yes. And, and I'm not saying there isn't time. Goodness, right. there is time for prophetic critique. But to do that from a centered place rather than a boundary place makes all the difference in the world. And who, um, who you're critiquing and how you're critiquing all matter in that conversation too. Yeah. So, oh, my, my friend... <laughs> As representatives of our freaking group of listeners and our community, this is just amazing. And I'm just, we spend 40 minutes on this. And uh, to me, it's so absolutely worth it. And if you hear heavy yeah. breathing, it is uh, Seth Eerie leaning his head against mine. And oh, and acting surprised now, if you could see him. So, Set Theory. Set Theory is in the house. All right, what we want to do today is at least begin a conversation around church discipline. Now, church discipline, it's never called that in the Bible, Um, but it's the idea when people stray from the way of Jesus, how is it that we respond? And I have to give a bunch of disclaimers. First, uh, uh, and again, I'm channeling Mark Baker's work, Centered Set Church, and he's channeling a guy named Paul Hybert was a missiologist um and so you're getting this kind of filtered a couple of times but mark baker's book um super interesting and and a centered set stuff has been on my radar for years and it was really how we started vox community uh in person and we started the vox podcast that's always been a value of ours is to try to be a center set as possible not that we've done it perfectly far from it um secondly when we talk about church discipline, um, this is an immensely painful conversation and room for much, much, much abuse. It's rarely done well or experienced well by the people who are the objects of whatever process. And it's incredibly difficult to do from a pastoral point of view in a highly individualized culture. Um, thirdly, I have been on both sides of this. I have been on restoration boards um, and teams, and I have also been the object of, or the subject of um, loving confrontations. And so I've experienced, um, in my two experiences with loving confrontation, um, in, in, in the real deep sense, I've been blessed to have incredible experiences that led to unbelievable growth and further than beyond restoration into all sorts of renewal. Um, but I've also seen um, that not happen more often than not. Yeah. And as someone who's been a part of teams where these conversations have been had, 
as a younger person not familiar with boundaried and centered thinking, I very often approached life in the boundaried way I was handed. So those are all my disclaimers about this very, very sensitive subject. Um, And and so what I want to do is I want to... um, I just go through characteristics and, and, and church discipline at its best is the idea of restoring somebody to the way of Jesus and the community of Jesus. Um, at its worst, it's punishment for breaking a boundary line. Yeah. And, you know, we're going to make an example of you to keep everybody else in line. And so, Me? well, you specifically, yes. This yeah. Actually, this is a loving confrontation, Tim. Um, <laughs> Seth and I are here. Uh, to talk to you about um, your troubledness. Um, There needs to be more triumph in your troubledness. Amen. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm working on it. Oh, no, you do not need to at all. So so a couple of points by way of review. Um, A bounded church or a bounded line is different than a boundary line. Boundaries are good things and are often needed. Kids need them. We need them in relationships. Um, they're, they're super healthy. When a boundary becomes bounded, what happens is the line becomes a way of evaluating and judging and feeling superior to it. It's a way of excluding and shaming and defining in versus out. That's when a boundary becomes bounded. Yeah. Right? So there are boundaries in every uh, organization, community, and group, and there should be. There are boundaries in families, and we're all familiar with this. So, so we're not critiquing boundaries, all right? We're critiquing bounded thinking. Um, uh, secondly, and, 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 and the idea of bounded thinking is that your identity is found in the line, right? You right. identify people who are not a part of the line or outside of the line, and you identify with people who are inside of the line. That's the idea. The line is doing the work, and it's yeah. super simple, it's clear, and it's certain. Yeah, a right. lot of this is in the Sermon on the Mount. Oh my goodness! Of like totally, looking, you know, totally. Yeah, so. Wait, just, bro, zip it. You know it's coming, <laughs> like a rainstorm <laughs> in Africa. Oh. Uh, uh, yes, and so, um, so what bounded churches will do is they will take biblical guidelines, commands, or principles, and then elevate them into this kind of bounded way of thinking. The answer isn't to get rid of those or to think that, well, the answer is just to kind of, it's a free-for-all and do whatever you want. Um, Because even then, the focus is still on the boundary line, namely not having one. Um, So we want to keep holding before us that saying to be centered set doesn't mean you're getting rid of boundaries. Yeah. Um, when we when we talk about the fuzzy, the, always makes me think of that little meme of John Travolta from Pulp Fiction, where he's just kind of like standing there. You, do you know that one? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Just put it in I'll show notes. It I'll put it. Yeah. <laughs> he's just kind of standing in a room and he's looking like he's not quite sure where to go. So people have been using that. Oh, um, that's with perfect. People being lost or whatever all the time. Oh, like, perfect. Yes. Where am I? Right. Like. Yeah. Which way am I supposed to go? Yeah. 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 Exactly right. So. Um, so, so to reject, so the, the, the objection of people um, that I had but, and that people have in bounded from bounded thinking as well, you're just either fuzzy too or your center just turns out to be a new set of boundaries. Right. So to and answer... that's that what you said last week about the fear of 
like creating a new dogma yes to replace an old dogma that's exactly right yes 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 um so let's talk about church discipline in a bounded community some of these are in baker some of these are mine but these are just characteristics that are meant to provoke discussion and, and contrast difference all right so obviously the point we've already made um the discipline in bounded churches is always focused on violation of the boundary whatever the boundary is whether it's behavioral whether it's doctrinal right the boundary yeah. still is the focus secondly there's not a lot of room for failure why because the bonded group differentiates itself and creates insiders by having outsiders the only way to have insiders is to make sure there are outsiders right you have to have outsiders and so the need is to continually reinforce and protect the identity of the community by using the boundary line. So church discipline represents an opportunity to reinforce the boundary line for all who are paying attention, right? Yeah. So there's yep. not a lot of room for failure. Um, it, it, instead, what it creates is a, a, high, a sense of high judgment and judgment in the bad sense. Judgment, and Greg Boyd does a lot of good work on the idea of judgment in a book called Repenting of Religion. Mm. Um, and he says that judgment was really the original sin, that, that they were going to define good and evil for themselves, and we've been doing that ever since. That's interesting. And that judgment, um, the kind of judgment he and that Jesus um, are critiquing um, is the kind of judgment that condemns others. It's, it's, it's observing someone's external and rendering a verdict on their internal sense of worth or purpose or whatever, motivation. Totally. Right? That's the difference. Like we can Which is interesting without having a center focus that helps define your inner. Yes. That's just a fascinating That's going to be conundrum. a huge difference between, because, because, and I'm jumping ahead here, but, but bounded churches can't help but focus on externals. Right. Um, and Jesus critiques that approach in Matthew 23 and in the Sermon on the Mount like crazy. Yeah. So there isn't a lot of room for failure. Why? Because the whole group depends, the identity of the group depends on reinforcing the boundary line. You let one slide, then the identity of the group is in, in jeopardy. All right? And it forces a, a kind of judgment that doesn't just say, hey, that was wrong, but it leads to you were wrong. You know, you are wrong. There's something wrong with you. Um, you are no longer welcome here kind of thing. Yeah. Secondly, or the thirdly, excuse me, focus on the boundary, not much room for failure. This is the big one we were just hinting at. A discipline in bounded churches can only focus on externals, not internals. So, man, I've experienced this in so many different ways, right? It, look at look at like Mark Driscoll or some of the high profile, really cruddy pastors that have been in the news you know, as if they, they could be selfish and prideful and mean and arrogant and condemning and judgmental and greedy, um, but as long as they didn't have uh, inappropriate sexual encounters, they were in power. It was just publicly. fine. At least publicly. Yeah, at least publicly. Right. Not, not a damn care in the world about what they were like as people. If they, if they demonstrated, oh, look at the numbers and the money that's rolling in, and they haven't done the one sort of major disqualifying deal breaker. Now, that changed right. with Driscoll, thankfully, as it went. But for years, it was tolerated. Yeah. Right? And we see this all over the place. That, that I mean, I remember I had a youth pastor. Right? One of my earliest memories of my church growing up was I had a youth pastor who was trying to make the point that um, God doesn't care what you wear. Now, this was a very conservative church that we you know, all dressed up. 
and the adults wore suits. And he, he as part of the sermon, he started taking off his suit and um, stripping down to a pair of shorts and a t-shirt he had underneath. And he was fired the next day. Um, oh. <laughs> yep, notice, I mean, done, done. Whatever boundary that was, done. That's a weird one. That's a weird one. Um, or uh, I, I, you know, I've told these stories before, but I have a, a friend of mine who um, was viewing inappropriate material online. He's waged a lifelong struggle against this. He'd been free for months and months and months, engaged in a 15-minute um, excursion into the nether regions of the web, and then got a later, I think the next day or the day after, got a, he and the whole faculty got a spam email saying, hey, we saw that you were on this and we've got video of you unless you, right. you know, whatever. Total, total, just random spam. Yeah. But, but he didn't know that. And so he went to his superior and said, hey, this is what I did and um, was fired without any conversation. I mean, un, unbelievable. You see what kind of environment that creates. Yeah. Right. No. No exploration into what happened. Why this is a problem. I mean, nothing. It's literally you did the you you do uh, the crime. You pay the time. End of story. Yeah. Right. And um, or I remember I, w- I I led a college group for years, and one of the kids was smoking, and I had this group of kids, you know, come up and be like, "Hey, so and so smoking." As if, because yeah. that was, you know, for a while anyway, that was one yeah. of the, one of the deal breakers. You know, no, 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 inter, uh, interrogating or curiosity about why they're feeling this way. It was just like, hey, this dude's smoking. You need to deal with it. So with their picture of C.S. Lewis smoking his pipe on there. <laughs> totally, or Gandalf, even even yeah. more. So, so very often what happens in bounded uh, churches is that certain things are elevated. And I'm not saying it's wrong to elevate sexual purity among people in power. That's no, but it's, it's when you do that and ignore other things that this becomes an issue. Right. Um, uh, the, The center focus doesn't let you prioritize um the greater sins from the lesser sins in the same way that bounded kind of focus does because well that's what's great about this deconstruction stuff is like people are starting to ask why Mm -hmm. like okay sexual purity or what or not even like marriage why why stay why stay uh you know loyal to my other yeah you know tell me why yeah there's what and there's like man that's the best it's the best to engage in these conversations and learn. That's what I was telling my students yesterday. Is like you pull it, pull that thread. You either uh, your viewpoint becomes more galvanized because you get more evidence and data that supports what you thought. Yeah. Or maybe you find out that it was wrong and you get the data to understand that and change your mind. Neither of those are bad outcomes. Yeah. They're both just more foundationally set. Yep. Yeah, and and the thing that. Beyond that, when you have a boundary line, like you would always get the question as a youth pastor, how far is too far? Yep. Focusing on the boundary line just says, okay, well, I can go, I can go right up to it. And as long as I'm yep. not crossing it, none of the deeper issues of my heart have to be addressed. No why is just... That's right. Just, yeah. And that's why Jesus does the such obvious thing. Hey, you only define adultery, Pharisees, as the physical act I'm telling you it begins in your mind. Duh. 
right? You you define murder as only the physical act. I'm telling you, it starts with anger and contempt, right? I mean, this is not, I mean, although I'm sure it felt revolutionary, like a, a, a deepening of the law, it was him confronting the boundary system the Pharisees had erected as part of their program, right? You it you can't eat with these people, but you can with these people. You have to eat your you have to you have to prepare the food in a certain way, wash your hands in a certain way. And they and they found justification in Torah and oral tradition for all of it. Yeah. Yep. Um and and some of what they were teaching isn't wrong. Jesus himself says, listen to what the Pharisees say, but don't do what they do. Right. <laughs> so so and, and and you can't map bounded thinking straight into Pharisees. Because Pharisees were much more complex than just the legalists they're often painted as. They were motivated right. by an unbelievable zeal to see God move. And they thought this was the way to do it. Now, we have those same people today. And so, I don't know what... How are, how are you concentrating right now? <laughs> I know. Seth, Seth is on my shoulder just... He's laying there looking adorable and... Uh, can only hear my part of the conversation, <laughs> but <laughs> it's just he's he's kissing my cheek, and I mean just all sorts. Of You're things. going. You're doing really good. <laughs> uh, so so in in like medical terms, there's always the presenting issue versus the underlying cause. Totally. So the problem with boundaried approaches to this, or bounded, excuse me, approaches to this, it always, it just focuses on the presenting issue. Just the symptom. Yep, just the symptom. Never gets to anything deeper than that. Now, a couple other uh, characteristics of bounded uh, church discipline. Um, typically, there are universal applications of some standard process. In other words, the, the, you write, you sit in a room, and I've done this. Here's our restoration process, mm -hmm. and you take everybody through that process. It's a, it's a universal application of a, a universal, regardless rule. of the nuance of the individual. Correct, correct, correct. Um, you also very often, often um, church discipline leads not to restoration but to exclusion and shame. Um, the, the reinforcement of boundaries don't help people overcome those boundaries. They just help people think creatively around them. Um, <laughs> they uh, teach us how to be better ninjas. And yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, th and this is kind of the last point. The boundaried, excuse me, bounded discipline um, causes people to hide and pretend. Like if yeah. you knew you were in an organization where you literally could not mess up with looking at something online... Are you going to then go forward in confidence and say, listen, I'm struggling with this? Or are you simply just going to hide it? Well, of course, we're all going to hide it. Yeah, so, I used to sneak up into the woods at the, at the uh, Young Life camp and wrap my fingers in toilet paper to have a cigarette. What? Yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you've heard it here first. Tim's terrible tidings. That's right. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And, and... Uh, even in parenting, you know, so much of our moralistic parenting just teaches kids to hide and pretend. It doesn't teach them to actually engage their real hearts, their Which real desires. Unhealthy explosions it, later in life. Yes, that's why they all rebel, because we forced them into these narrow confines that don't allow them to be authentically real yeah. um, and think that somehow our, our bounded approaches protect them when in actuality they don't deal with anything beneath the surface and all that stuff comes exploding out later. 
And when yeah, they're a little therapy, yeah. And when they're free from the bounded group, they transgress the boundedness, of course. So, um, so it's a mess. Uh, and I have, I have again received and given some of the mess. No, no question. Discipline in a fuzzy church is pretty easy. There usually isn't any, <laughs> yeah. uh, unless you know you're one of those people who attempts to be bounded in a in a fuzzy church. Then. Man, then we're going to get you. Or um, sometimes a fuzzy church won't be fuzzy around like social justice or around political issues or whatever. And it will it will operate in the same sort of bounded ways. Just on the other side of the fence. On the other side of the fence. Yeah. So so um, discipline in fuzzy churches is usually don't ask, don't tell. We're not going to investigate your private life um, as long as you don't tell us and make it an issue. Um, we're not going to say... We're not gonna. We're we're focusing on uh, improvement rather than on repentance. So we're we're all about getting you overcoming your giants and your barriers to your dreams and those sorts of things. Um, and um, and and a really key driving force is you just want to avoid ma- making people feel bad about themselves. Right. You know, you want people to come out feeling good and positive about what what is going on. And that, that the, not that that's bad. But if the church, if our relationship with Jesus doesn't provoke the whole range of emotions, then, and we're just being taught that all it is is kind of a, a, a group therapeutic process by which I improve myself as a husband, father, and business person, um, then we're not doing the, the Jesus thing anymore. We're doing well, it's a. It's still symptom based to, to use the medical thing. It's it, just it, it really is. It really yeah. is. Um, it avoids the aggression of bounded communities, but promotes sort of passive silence and disinterest. Like you can't really love people there because that means you know them. And when you know them, you might have to deal with crap. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously misses the point that loving, um, that loving confrontation is sometimes necessary. Yeah. It's true in families. It's true in healthy workplaces. It's, it's true in healthiness. Um, and, um, so not a lot to say there. Um, when we get to center churches, all right, now this, here we go, buddy. Giddy up. We're an hour in. (laughs) All right. So let's talk about, let's talk about centered churches and here we're going to need, we're going to need some time. And, And these aren't in order at any order of priority. These are just ways of contrasting the first thing that in centered churches and where I've experienced really healthy sort of loving confrontation is um, every case is dealt with individually. Yeah. That there isn't a universal standard dealing with a universal process. We stay away from broad rules and statements that, uh, that we try to apply to everybody. We must acknowledge the complexity of every single story. There are no rules that govern every situation. Even, even when you get into the Bible, do not bear false witness uh, and we take that to mean do not lie, but it's actually more of a courtroom sort of idea. Yeah, and, what and, happens when you generalize your wife in an argument? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You're dead. Um, but but you know, do not lie becomes yeah. But the the Hebrew midwives lied and they were praised. Rahab lied right. and she was praised. You just there aren't these. No matter how much you try to find a boundary that can and should apply to everybody equally, there is none that works. Centered, centered approaches in all things are slow, messy, and require significant investment. And that's why we don't do them. 
boundary is just such so so much easier yeah it's so much clearer and it's so much more secure right to sit with somebody to hear the nuances of their story to dive into the depths of root issues and not just presenting issues my goodness that it takes sounds much better even just the way you just worded it like it's just investing in other humans yeah well now now i mean that's what we pay therapists to do right <laughs> no i mean in, in the best sense totally. i mean this yep. is yep they they are put focused and exploring nuance and they're sitting there without at least outward judgment yeah. um of you know as i'm processing and wandering around and i cannot wait to hear what they think totally you know i don't receive their judgment as con condemnatory or condemning I experience their their judgment as wisdom and guidance and help. Yeah, they're um, like slow, intentional surgeons. Yes, 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 yes. So, um, you know, a bounded approach focuses on the boundary line um, and the presenting issue. A centered approach says, listen, there are probably 40 or 50 or 60 issues this person needs to deal with, but we don't get to order their discipleship. You know, there is no ordering. So, so if they come in and what's presenting is, I don't know, let's say anger or let's say, um, um, uh, you know, addiction to pornography or something. Of course, we deal with a presenting issue. And in some cases, the presenting issue is abusive and harmful and authorities yeah. must be involved. And so a centered approach doesn't, a centered approach realizes, oh, oh man, there are, there are times the presenting issue needs addressed immediately to protect those are other boundaries. people. Yeah, those are boundaries, yes, in the healthiest sense. But most of the time, the issues that you know people end up sharing with me or <coughs> with others are wrapped up into like a dozen other issues. And to sit and focus on the one presenting issue uh, neglects all this other work the spirit might be doing. Um, because for me, when, when, when the presenting issue got exposed, what then began to happen is the working backwards into, well, this shouldn't just happen in a vacuum. In fact, this has been true of me in lots of other ways. And I wonder, right? It's this big, it's this opportunity for exploration rather than just a pronouncement uh, and, a, and a verdict. You know what I mean? And so, mm -hmm. so the wise and tender holding of someone else's pain or failure or whatever um, is, I can't even begin to say how important that is. Um, to, to stay in relationship with people who have, they've stopped playing soccer, to use the example from our first episode. They're trying to play rugby. Um, you don't just sit there, pick up the ball and exclude them, but you come along and you explain, hey, we've all committed to playing soccer and I love that you wanna play rugby and let's talk about that. Let's, ex let's explore why it is you want to play rugby right in the middle of our soccer game, right? And, yeah. and maybe, maybe they are won over to soccer or maybe they're not. But what they're not done is they're uh, rendered um, uh, like, or disbarred. Uh, they're not yeah. rendered outsider immediately. It's no, no, we're going to sit and we're in the middle and we're going to explore this. Um, center focus focuses on the path towards the center, no matter how long that takes. So, the, so it's not just the turning of someone towards the center, but then it's the journey to the center, which takes years and years and years and years. So built into the all paradigm, the all the years it's going to take. 
So built into the paradigm is the idea that it's messy, it's complex, and it's going to take a long time. It's going to be as messy and complex as each of us are. A absolutely. Absolutely. None of us have arrived. None of us, none of us can judge the other um, in a con uh, condemning way. I don't know why I'm having trouble with that word today. <laughs> condemning way. None of us can judge the other in a condemning way because all, our, all of us alike are not are journeying to the center, right? We're, we've not arrived. None of us has. Um, and built in, so, so first is the idea that you deal with uh, complexity of every case. You don't have a standardized, universally applicable rule or process. Secondly, um, the, the whole center journey is invitational. There's no compelling, manipulating, guilting, shaming. Jesus never did any of those things. Now, I will say he did work to shame the Pharisees on a couple of occasions, but he did that. There are two kinds of shame that we will talk about, I think, in the next episode. There's shame that disintegrates and shame that reintegrates. Mm -hmm. And Jesus always practiced the latter. He always practiced that he would... To the people whose hearts were so hardened into religious condemnation, he would practice the shame that attempted to reintegrate them back into what the Jesus disciple community would be looking like. And it seems harsh to us, but in, in that culture and time, like the seven woes that Jesus gives, that was those were prophetic oracles straight from the history of the prophets. You know, this wasn't per, these weren't personal attacks on those that were there. This was an oracle from a prophet against the, the Pharisee project. Um, so that's a different thing. All that is to say is that the focus when we get to centered churches is, is invitational. We don't guilt, we don't shame, we don't manipulate, we don't bribe. We simply <laughs> invite people, right? So back to the soccer example, we don't make people play soccer, but we invite them to, hey, we are gonna go play soccer. Anyone who wants to play soccer can come along with us. If you want to play something different, go play something different, but we are going to play soccer. Seth just raised his hand in the back. I think he wants to play soccer. <laughs> Amen. He we, we are a soccer family. Absolutely. So, so it's invitational. We're not fuzzy on what we're playing. We're playing right. soccer. Um, nor are we fuzzy that if someone tried to interrupt the soccer game by playing something else, we would go, hey, we're playing soccer um, and invite them to play. We're not going to exclude them. Right. If anyone is excluded, it's, th it's their choice. They exclude themselves. Um, but it's all invitational. It's like, hey, man, in this community, we, we attempt to play by the rules of Jesus. And I understand these rules are hard and difficult and arduous, and it takes a long time to learn them. But this is what we are going to do. If you want to be a part of this, fantastic. And if you don't, that's okay. We'll always be here. We will right. always be here. And whenever you come, this is what we'll be doing. You know, don't ever be surprised. Don't ever be shocked. This is the journey this community is on. We're really clear about where we're headed. And we invite you to come along. But there's no shame if you don't. There's no exclusion if you won't. That's just fine. Right? I mean, that's love doesn't do that to people. Love simply invites. And so there is a massively invitational character, even in loving confrontation, right? You can't make somebody repent. You can't guilt somebody into, at least you can guilt them maybe into superficial, like a, um, contrition. But yeah, the toe in the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
But, but all we can do is operate in a way towards people that invites further conversation and dialogue. That's our job. Our job is not to fix them. Our job is not to rescue them. Our job is to invite them. And then if they say yes, to walk alongside. Yep. That's it. That's it. And so it's like if, if, if you're really going to come alongside somebody who is, has a presenting issue, the commitment you're making to them is that we will walk with you in the midst of this for however long it takes. Yeah. And that's why you just, we don't, we don't often do it. So first, we have to deal with each case individually. Second, there is an invitational character to the whole thing. All right? We never are looking at people saying, hey, unless you believe like us, you can't be here. Right. Right? We're never doing that. Which is kind of rule number one of what we do do. Yes. And it's just a pile of doo-doo. Oh. Um, and, then, and then we'll end with this one. All right, and then we'll pick up the next, the, the rest, because there's, there's some juicy stuff I want to take time on. The third issue here is um, we practice something called relational discernment rather than judgment. Now, one of the things we covered in the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus in Matthew 7 condemns judgment, but it's not just any kind of judgment. Remember, the word is krino from where we mm -hmm. get the word critic. And it just means to categorize or to, um, to, um, to organize in differentiation. Um, and, and there's a good crino um, that Jesus practices, and there's a bad crino that Jesus condemns. And from the context, it's clear the bad crino is the judgment that leads to condemnation. It's, it's what we talked about half an hour ago. The idea that I, I, I see something on someone's outside and I render a verdict on what's going on inside. Right. on their worth, motivation, whatever. So I condemn them. And in so doing, Jesus says, whatever standard I've used to condemn them ends up condemning myself. And my judgments actually prevent me from helping them. They're the plank in my eye as I try to deal with the, the speck of dust in their own. So right. my judgments blind me to them. Yeah, so it's totally. an incredible, incredible context. Um, and, and it's worth reviewing in the centered set context because the good yeah. crino is the crino that, that, that separates things rather than people. Bad crino separates people, good, bad, right, wrong, sheep, goats, inside, outside, on fire, lukewarm, all those, all those judgments are bad crino. The good crino separates behaviors, um, activities, uh, ways of living, ways of prioritizing. So what good crino says generosity is better than greed. Good Crino says there are certain ways of living that are consistent with Jesus's kingdom, and there are certain ways of living that are not. Um, that's just true. Murder, not a real consistent way of living with Jesus's kingdom. Now, what that doesn't do, that rendering that verdict doesn't mean that people who violate, right, whatever command it is that we're dealing with, are fundamentally bad people now in the case of murder maybe <laughs> you right. know but but if it comes to you know something like the pornography example or um um somebody who cheats or lies to protect somebody else or advance their you know it, it's very easy to look at that episode in isolation and say well that's who they are good right. crino good crino says no no no. that's what they did and what they right. did was wrong or what they did right. isn't aligned to the kingdom community, but who they are, they're still image bearers 
um, who are worthy of love and um, self-sacrificial, um, so, you know, uh, blessing towards. So the idea um, is that we practice something called relational discernment. And that means that it's hard to tell whether someone is turned and oriented towards Jesus or not. Because you can have all the superficial, oh, well, they pray and they read their Bible and they share their faith, but that doesn't mean you're oriented towards Jesus, not at all. Right. Or you could have none of those things and have someone be oriented to Jesus, right? They just don't know all the hoops that you got to jump through to do it. Right. And so the only way, the only way to even get a glimpse of whether or not somebody is turning and reposturing themselves towards the center is to be in long involved relationship with them. Yeah. And, and in the early church, this was easy because they met in house churches, right? right. Whenever, whenever you know, Paul talks about, or Jesus talks about, well, confront somebody, and then you know, if they don't respond, then take another person, and if they don't respond to that, then bring it to the whole church. Well, the church was 20 people. That's yeah, such a fascinating, it's, that's such a hard thing to wrestle with in our current society with how populated this planet is. Yes. And yes. so it, it really gets hard to wrestle against like, yeah, that's a no brainer. Communities of people live their lives together till death. That's right. And <clears throat> we're invested in one another. And they didn't go anywhere. They, they, these were not right. people that were transient. These well, we talked to you about like, I, I had a big question about, you know, a lot of these people can't read the scripture and there's only so many of those ex that exist. And some rando is like, I can read, but I can't, I don't know what it means, but I'll read yeah. it to you guys. Right. And Paul will write a letter that's like, it shows up every now and then, who knows? Right. So most of their time is just spent practicing this. Yes. Like living together, practicing the together, Lord's Supper, lift, lifting each other up when someone falls or whatever. Like it's a fascinating look at. Yes. But then when you try to translate it to today, to today, that is such a longer nuanced conversation to really crack open. Yes. We only understand church in one format. That's a different format. Yes. So, so it's a, it's complicated yep. and interesting. Yep. And, um, and so relational discernment are, are it's, it's from somebody who's most likely invited you into their life that allows yeah. you to see the inside of their life, not just the public posture they assume. Right. And it's done over a long period of time. Extreme and, vulnerability. And, and yes. And in that context, good crino can become a great blessing. Totally. You know, we've all e either experienced it from healthy parenting or at work where somebody pulls us yeah. aside and says, hey, what you were saying back there isn't super helpful, but you know that yeah. person's committed to you and mm -hmm. they're not threatened by you. They're not jealous of you. They're just like, I want you to succeed in this. And so you receive that good crino, not as condemnation, but you receive it as like, man, that's super helpful advice, right? Yeah. That's the picture that we're getting. Now, yes, there are extreme circumstances. And Paul dealt with one in 1st and 2nd Corinthians where something was so egregious, it had to be dealt with in a public manner like it was affecting the community and the community was boasting that it was being done in its own midst yeah so yes there are those but that's not that those are very rare compared to the day in and day out yeah of no nope. yeah we're just we're in a, in a group of people and and the way we do church the way we do american life none of it none of it opens us up to this kind of long-term sort of relational discernment with each other it, yeah. it really just becomes At another all. disposable consumer item.
Yep. You know, totally. which, which is it, 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 it <clears throat> malforms us in really significant ways. So That's a good way of putting it. Yes. Well, thank you. Um, so relational discernment allows for complexity because you're, you're understanding stories and contexts and histories. You're understanding prequels and not just the presenting issues. I mean, it's all the things, all the things we'd want. Um, it doesn't mean it's easy. Um, right. you know, hearing hard things is never easy. And, and the complexity is, and we'll talk about this next episode too. The complexity is no matter how centered you might be in your approach, Someone who is immersed in bounded thinking can only receive this in a bounded way. Hence the long-term. Exactly. Yes. Yep. So anyway, Timothy, that is the beginning. We'll do part two next week. You know, I was thinking while you were talking, and this may be way off base, and so I, we can delete it, it out. Probably it is. is. Probably. I, I imagine it is. But I was thinking no. about Romans 3.23. Yeah. Of, Sin and fall short of the glory of God, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Through the through the center focused center set lens, and also through the new creation lens of sin and missing the mark and that kind of stuff. When you look, because the way we grew up was, we're all we're all really crappy, and we've all like we're all just this despicable thing, and so we're not worthy of this glorious thing. Right. It's a very separational. But if it's if we look at it through these lenses of all have missed the mark and all have been stumbling around and all have been, and then leaning into those things sometimes. And then you look at the glory of God in some of these ways of how we're meant to live and meant to exist right. and meant to posture and focus. And you're not off that face verse at all. has a, tr- tr- like a tremendously different. Yes. Cause that was a very shameful verse. Yeah. And it was used as a weapon against, especially kids. Yeah. Um, Do you know what I'm thinking of doing? These lenses, it's actually pretty inclusive and intentional. I'm thinking, yes. Oh, I, I, I'm thinking. I'm thinking of uh, our next series of conversations, doing the four big words from Ephesians two, eight, nine, and ten. So there are four huge Christian words: faith, grace, saved, and works. Well, that's a great idea. And I wanted to reframe those all in new creation ways because you're absolutely yeah. right, Tim. We fall short of the glory of God doesn't mean God has a thousand righteous points and I score 32 on the take-home test about how righteous I am. Right. No, it means something far more beautiful than that. So when it becomes more, yeah, it becomes an encouragement rather than... Exactly, exactly. Disparaging. Yeah, yeah it's, not, it's not bad Crino, it's good Crino. It's right. like, hey, the, what, yeah. the human project as image bearers has failed. That's true. Yeah. Jesus comes as a human bearing the image of God to, to, to fulfill the original vocation given to our first parents, manifest in the community of Israel, now given to the church, yeah. that none of us are able to fulfill. That's why his humanity is important, yeah. because he comes as the first fully human. And then why the center set focus becomes important. Yes. That yes. Makes a lot of sense. Because, yes, because it's not about the boundaries of in, out, yeah. saved, unsaved, because those didn't work. No, it's about work. it's yeah. about progressing towards what it is to be fully yeah. human as God intended, and that fully humanness looks exactly like Jesus of Nazareth, yeah. which is a positive thing. Yes, not a negative thing. Correct. 
Which is interesting with how we define humanity. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly right. Now, Seth Thomas, you have patiently endured at my shoulder. (laughs) Uh, You've been great. You've been awesome. We've read, we've affirmed your classwork. We've heard your introduction. Now, Seth, it is time to tell us goodbye. We're going to wrap up the podcast, Seth, with any last words you would give us. Yeah. So go ahead. So we're big time to Vox Podcast up there on the picture. On the picture, yep. I have a little plaque that says Vox Podcast, so shout out to that. For, for a star for Vox Podcast. The, for Tim. For Tim, the star of Vox Podcast, yep. <laughs> and um, please check um, on Temporaries, Demike, Demike, Seth, and Tim Gombas. Yep, and Tim Gombas, yep. We're oh, your co-hosts. We Absolutely. Way to, way to handle some Gombas. Yeah, say Gombas for me. Gombas. Yes, yeah. that's how you say it too. Okay, you guys are amazing. You guys are amazing. You guys are rock star. You guys are rock stars. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. It's zero, zero episode. Yeah, zero. This is zero, zero episode. Ooh, ground zero. Yes, I like it. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, Mr. Edmund, thank you so much. Um, thank you about quiet concert. Thank you for my choir concert. By Seth? <laughs> yeah, Seth, you did great at the choir concert. No, it's, it's best buddies. Oh, he, who, your best buddy, Seth. Yeah, he has a best friend at school named Seth. Yeah. Cool. Who uh, just adores this Seth, and this Seth adores that Seth. So it's like the <laughs> Spider-Man meme of just two guys <laughs> named Seth pointing at each other. <laughs> All right, ladies uh, and gentlemen. Uh, okay, Miss Simmons. You, you take care of yourself. You take you care know. of yourselves. Yes. I take back. It's Seth, I do. Home. We're at home. Well, um, it's 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 a board. For you're bored. Uh, because it's it's no new school. School is closed. School is closed. Yeah. But I have ice. Today. We had ice today. Yep, we did. Ice day. Yep, and you know what so, we say about ice? Yeah, ice. Ice, baby. All right. Okay, guys. Thanks for watching. Bye. Bye. Hey, I'll get to bye, Tim. Hey, Tim. Hey, the wizard. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash voxology. You can also join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials. Facebook.com backslash voxology podcast and on Instagram at voxology podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for walking the long road with us.